This is a West Gippsland Week podcast. Attentive listeners will recall that we have spoken previously to Professor Sarah Charlesworth from RMIT about the situation in aged care um, because she's done particular studies in the particular the workforce situation in, in aged care. Um, and um, again, attentive listeners may remember that we, we expressed concerns about how the COVID impacts were uh, uh, impacting on uh, the aged care system and uh, tragically in a way the, the, those concerns really have come to the fore and really been played out in, in front of our very eyes in the last um, couple of months particularly with this so-called Omicron uh, variant. Uh, Professor Charlesworth thank you very much for your time. Pleasure Paul. Am I over-egging that? Uh, have we seen the, the almost what we predicted in, in aged care turning into the crisis that we thought was possible? Look, I think it's even worse. Um, I think we've failed to learn almost any lesson at all from, um, from, from the Delta variant. And because I'm located in Victoria, we experience that very directly and, um, you know, a considerable number of... Um, Aged care residents died um, in various Victorian facilities during the um, Delta wave. And we, what we thought we'd learnt is that we needed certain things in place. We learnt that we needed um, adequate supplies of PPE. We needed to have infection control, but better infection control processes. But to have that, we also learnt that we needed um, more people with nursing training, um, primarily registered nurses, but also what we in Victoria call enrolled nurses. So these are nurses who've done one year um, study and often then they articulate that to become um, registered nurses. So, so we learnt that. The other thing we learnt was that um, staff were uh, as affected the number of in residential aged care, the number of staff who had uh, contracted COVID exceeded the number of residents who'd contracted COVID. Uh, that wasn't first and foremost, but what we learned from that is that uh, vaccinating staff was utterly crucial. Now, in the last wave, the government, um, people have referred to it as a stroll out. I think that that's even too strong. I mean, nothing much happened. The People who the companies that were contracted to vaccinate residents were originally contracted to vaccinate staff. They didn't do this. It was then left up to staff. Um, and inevitably, um, having not having infection control, so not actually separating residents who are COVID positive for residents who are COVID negative, getting staff to work across them, not having enough staff led to a whole lot of shortcuts. So we got a, a brief breather, if you like, between Delta and Omicron. And the expectation was that if a new variant came along, which we all back then sincerely hoped it wouldn't, that we would be prepared. But where do we find ourselves? Not enough PPE. We find that the booster program, because now while most aged care residents have been um, double vaccinated, the booster program hasn't been sufficiently rolled out. Once again, aged care staff have been left behind. Now, there are some notable exceptions, but this is, hasn't been due to the government. So there have been some um, 
standout aged care providers who have just taken it upon themselves to run our vaccination clinics at work for staff to make sure that they get boosted. But that wasn't a, a policy decision of government. We know that in home care, there's still a lack of PPE. Um, there has been a real um, backup in terms of testing. So initially huge delays in getting results for PCR tests. But now we have had uh, quite a few, few providers. This has changed a bit. Uh, and depending on what state you are, because the state government stepped in here, we've got providers that do not have enough rat tests for um, uh, residents, let alone staff. And really, um, you know, rat tests are going to be crucial to keeping um, aged care um, ticking along because people are not having to isolate for long periods of time if they're able to be testing themselves. So we have just failed to learn the lessons. We have done nothing about the quantum of staffing. So the government is continuing to fund um, a gig platform uh, to provide what they call surge staffing. Now, the people who are perfectly nice people may or may not have worked in residential aged care, but there's certainly been a lot of concern that if they're the only staffing coming in, um, that they don't have the expertise uh, because it's a skilled job. And we have at long last had the government recognise that it is skilled work. The latest thing is we've now had the ADF um, have been assigned to go in, but to date only 160 ADF personnel have been deployed um, specifically to help with logistics and what's totally crucial from the perspective of residents and their families is access to their loved ones. So that one of the things the ADF will be doing um, will be assisting um, with the visitor protocols. And once again, I can think of, and I'm not going to name them, but two or three really excellent aged care providers that have put in place a whole set of protocols to encourage visitors. So you arrive to visit your um, loved one, you have to demonstrate that you're double vaccinated. You then have to go out and take a rat test so that they know that you're virus free. And then and then you are, um, you know, escorted to your a staff member who can escort you to your um, to your relative or your loved one's room. That is so important for residents. And we're seeing on top of the last wave where people were isolated and left alone, we are seeing that this is still not addressed. And um, in the media, you and your listeners will have read and heard many very moving accounts of people who are simply um, deteriorating in terms of not just physically, but in terms of their mental well-being, being shut off from, from family. And if you don't have enough staff, I was just talking with a colleague before who'd been visiting an aunt in Sydney and she can't speak to the aunt because there's not enough staff to be able to take the phone to the aunt's room. So the aunt is in advanced stage of dementia, is incapable of um, having a room, a phone in her room herself. So she needs to be have a room or an iPad taken to her. But that means she doesn't have any um, contact at all, even if it's just um, virtual contact with family members. So I know I've gone on a bit, but 
I really think we, we should be hanging our heads as a country in shame that we knew all these things and we just once again have allowed the same things to happen. And it seems to me, putting it very bluntly, we, we were told that, you know, gird your loins and we will ride this wave. But, but that's meant uh, more people have died in aged care in the last month or so than died in the previous 12 it's sort of it's kind of stated in that kind of bland way um and stated in that bland way and we have well you know from the minister of health world our palliative anyway or 60 percent of them palliative anyway for me that just shows the utter disregard with which you know older adults in australia particularly those who uh, users of um, formal aged care services that we, we we're not really respecting them as people who need um, support to lead as fulfilling lives as they possibly can, particularly in 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 their last years. I just it's an abject lack of dignity that we are showing them. And we're speaking with Professor Sarah Charlesworth from RMIT, who has done long years of study on the uh, workforce of the aged care sector. And we will continue with that discussion shortly. This is West Gippsland Week on your community station 103.13 BR FM. And I'm Paul Strickland. Here at West Gippsland Week, we're keen to hear from you. You can comment or send story ideas to wgw at 3brfm.org.au. We're speaking here with Professor Rachel Charlesworth from RMIT, who's been researching the... Uh, aged care workforce and its situation for some time. One good thing that's perhaps come out of this, and this was really at the end of last year before Omicron really hit, was that the um, the unions, because one of the issues has been turnover in the sector of staff. Um, so the, the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety recommended that the providers, the unions and the government get together and really do something about wages and conditions. Um, and the government in its response to the Royal Commission said in principle it agreed with it, but has made no move. But at the end of last year, the all the aged care peak bodies, the provider bodies, all the relevant unions, and interestingly, um, the aged care advocacy, advocacy groups like Council of the Aging, National Seniors Australia, submitted a consensus statement to the Fair Work Commission saying, we are key stakeholders. We have to pay workers more. We need to be attracting them and retaining them. We need skilled workforce. A workforce. Interestingly, the statement, the statement starts, the government was invited to partake. The government declined to partake in our stakeholder consultations. The government is still standing off and saying, well, it's nothing to do with us, really, the wages. It's up to the Fair Work Commission. Well, the political reality is that the Fair Work Commission is not going to work award a wage increase if it knows that the providers don't have the capacity to pay. So I think back to 2012 when we had a, 
a wage claim under equal pay provisions for the social and community services sector. It didn't include aged care, but it did include, for example, disability support workers, you know, family support, um, refuge workers, all the people who work uh, mainly in the not-for-profit area. Um, the then Gillard government committed, to, I think it was $2.2 billion, saying that if the Fair Work Commission awards a wage increase, it will commit that that stage, because that was before the NDIS was in place, they also asked um, the state governments who were then responsible for funding disability services to commit funds and gradually the various state governments committed. Um, so that was important. And it is such a shame um, that we're not, that aged care workers are not being treated seriously. And I think the other thing about this consensus statement, because this was a big criticism of the um, Aged Care Royal Commission of the aged care sector and also the federal government, was that there's no accountability. So we're funding billions of dollars to aged care providers, but we don't actually know how they spend it. So all the additional funds that have been given to aged care providers for infection control, for example, for having additional nurses, for, you know, additional infection control training, we, we don't know how that money's been spent. There's no public recording, you know, has this money been spent and what's been the outcome? You know, have, have facilities that have um, made use of additional funding around this, have they been able to have fewer infections? Because if I can give you an example from Victoria, in Victoria, 178 of the residential aged care facilities are run by the state government, funded by the federal government, but managed by the state government. And they're in staff nursing ratios. And they are staffed mainly by registered nurses and enrolled nurses, a few um, personal care workers. They have had a minuscule number of infections. And now, admittedly, they are located in rural and regional areas, which haven't been the hubs in Victoria for Omicron, but it's fairly widely spread across Victoria. But that, to me, is a very clear lesson. We need adequate staffing. We need skilled staffing. And that's a lesson we haven't learned. That's another lesson we haven't learned. And so when you have and I have never seen this in Australia before, the aged care providers, the unions and the um, ABIS groups coming together and all agreeing we need to retain staff. What do service users need? They need good carers based on a relationship. They need to have the same people if you're at home, same people visiting them. If you're residential aged care, you're very likely to have dementia. It's more important than ever that you have the same staff who get to know you get to know the different manifestations of your dementia because everybody's different. You know, what are your triggers? Um, how should you be managed best when you get agitated? This takes skill, but it also takes time. So you need enough time built into um, a worker's day. New South Wales is a nurse's strike at the moment, but I heard one of the leaders talking about moral injury where nurses are unable to do work that they know needs to be done. One of my British colleagues talks about aged care workers suffering from moral distress. So if you talk to aged care workers, they say to you, I feel awful. You know, at the end of the day, I have not been able to spend enough time 
talking to people who are desperate, particularly in the situation of COVID, for just human contact, any human contact, because I have, for example, 20 residents to get up, toileted, showered, dressed, breakfasted, and I simply don't have time to stop. It's it grim, Paul. It seems to me that w when we last spoke, which was some while ago now, um, we we did mm. we knew then that the the workforce was on a margin. Uh, you know, it was on a thin thin margin, um, and of course, yeah. as uh, in I guess across the health system. Um, the system has been on a thin margin. I think it's wicked that we still don't have decent data on the aged care workforce in Australia. The government purported to do a census in December last year of the aged care workforce, but it just went to a selection of providers. In past years, the aged care workforce and census, which is being done, uh, was done by Flinders University, had actually surveyed workers, so you had a better idea of what their intentions were about leaving, what triggers there were to maybe leaving their job. And we knew in 2016 was most aged care workers who intended to leave would leave to other aged care jobs. Why would that be? It was typically, wasn't wages because wages are low everywhere. It was typically around um, support from their supervisors or not. And it was particularly about the kind of facility, but we don't know that because we're, we're not even surveying aged care workers anymore. Um, so it's, but we do know anecdotally that um, a lot of people are leaving the sector because if you are working in conditions where you are even more short-staffed than you've ever been short-staffed before and working long and back-to-back -back shifts, you are exhausted, but you also, as I said, are suffering from moral distress. You are also, you know, aged care workers will tell you that they're, they're actually not in this for the money. They believe the work they're doing is good work, is valuable work, is meaningful work. Many of them really enjoy the relationships that they make with their clients and the residents with whom they work. But if they can't do that and they feel that they're letting them down, um, they feel absolutely awful and most people then think, well, I'm going to be paid the same as if I'm working at Aldi or Bunnings or Coles, you know, half the hassle really, um, and I don't go home every day feeling really bad. I know you keep an eye on overseas situations. Um, crudely, how do we pr compare? It depends who you compare us with. Compare us to the US or the UK, we're doing a whole lot better. In the UK, um, last count at the end of last year, 400 aged care workers had died as well as countless uh, numbers of um, aged care residents and home care service users. Um, it depends if the other place I tend to compare us with is um, Canada. It depends which province you are in Canada. So Ontario has been a basket case. British Columbia has, um, has been quite proactive. So one of the things it did initially, and I'm trying to find out if this is still in place, but in 2020, they said, right, we have to be able to keep aged care workers. Aged care workers will now be employed on a full-time, not a part-time basis. We will pay them public sector wages. So what we pay people in um, hospitals, we will pay in aged care. Now, um, I haven't I've been waiting to hear back from a colleague from British Columbia if that's still in place under the Omicron wave, but they did at the time they introduced this say, well, 
this was for the long haul. It has, though, had, quite frankly, a, a couple of perverse effects. That is, if you were someone who worked across aged care facility A and aged care facility B, and you decided, okay, I'm going to work my full-time hours at aged care facility A, aged care facility B was left without you. So that it didn't manufacture more workers, but it is hoped that paying higher wages will have the effect of increasing the attractiveness of these jobs and the sustainability of these jobs, particularly if you're offering full-time hours. Um, the wages still are not enormous, but they are a whole lot better than they are at the moment. So that's that's one good example. Um, New Zealand, um, and I'm talking to a group in New Zealand, you know, have done, um, they are panicked at the moment, but they've had much fewer numbers in terms of um, aged care deaths than we have per head of population. They've also had a you know, number of infections, but there are real concerns there now about, um, particularly in residential aged care, about keeping visitors out and the, the psychological price as well as the physical price that's paid by residents and their families with that. So um, I know there's feeling from some in the sector there that some of those rules are too strict. We've now in Australia, after huge protest from... Um, aged care residents' families got a voluntary code of practice around visitors, but it's voluntary, it's not mandatory. Um, and because in order to put in place a policy where the good example that I gave you before, which was commended by the Royal Commission actually, um, and which has even been developed more um, fulsomely where this particular um, aged care provider, which has got a number of, it's a large not-for-profit, it's got a number of aged care facilities, but where it has a whole process, you ring up, they know that you're coming at certain time, you arrive, as I said, your vaccination's checked, you do a rat test, your temperature's taken, you're then escorted to your loved one. That takes staffing resources. That's a real dilemma we've got in a short staff system. I guess we'll need to talk again because uh, at this stage, uh, there's no quote unquote light on the hill that's that sort of seems to be uh, approaching resolving some of these things. Well, as I said, I do think this consensus statement by the provider peaks, the unions, and the aged care advocacy group advocacy groups is a light at the end of the tunnel. How far our train is moving, I don't know, but to me, that is the very first time that's happened in Australia. And that, I think, has got to apply some political pressure to the um, federal government. Professor Charlesworth, I'm grateful for your time. Um, it's important, I think, Pleasure. for us to understand the, the, what's going on behind some of these bland statements that, that we hear. Um, and uh, I, I will look forward to talking again, and, and maybe we can uh, illuminate that light a little bit more. Yes, let's hope. Thanks so much, Paul. Bye-bye, and bye-bye to your listeners. This is a West Gippsland Week podcast.